Happy Easter, everyone, and welcome to our epic online services. And let me just say as we begin, I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And I fully understand that celebrating Easter online may feel very strange, especially if you've grown up in a religious system where you're used to gathering with a bunch of people to celebrate Easter. I know it feels weird, but that does not mean it's going to be any less meaningful. Through the power of technology, today we're going to celebrate an event that changed human history. It's changed my life. Maybe it's changed your lives. It's changed lives of people around the world. And I'm so grateful that we can still celebrate in these times. Now, today what we're going to do is we are going to explore how Easter can be personal for us. And the reason that we're doing that is because for many people, Easter is not personal. We don't make personal connections for us from Easter. And Easter was meant to be personal. Yet for so many people, Easter is something that's caught up in this religious system. It's a tradition that we celebrate or grew up watching other people celebrate. And yet we fail to understand how it can apply to us and how it can change our everyday lives. I had that experience in my life as a kid. And when I was a kid, I got to tell you that Easter was my least favorite day of the year. And uh, sorry, please don't tell my mom that. Uh, she might be watching today. And if you are watching, mom, welcome. Uh, but I'm, I'm sorry for, for giving you that information. But here's why I didn't enjoy Easter as a kid. It meant I had to get up early. I had to wear clothes that I hated to wear. I had to go to church for what felt like an all-day church experience. And I couldn't spend time with my friends. I couldn't do the stuff that I wanted to do. So for me at that time, Easter was an inconvenience. And for a lot of people, that's how they feel about Easter. It's something that we celebrate out of tradition, out of habit, maybe to, to kind of check in with God once a year. And yet when we have that perspective, we miss out on how Easter can impact our lives on a daily basis. So that's what we're going, going to explore together today. Later, we're going to celebrate communion together. And you can tell that I have my communion elements already. I've got my bread here ready. I've got my juice in my trusty epic four flagler mug that you can pick up for yourself in person once we're past this coronavirus stuff. Will you come and join us at our services at Buddy Taylor Middle School? Uh, but for today, we're going to celebrate in this way. So let me just say this uh, at the beginning of, of our time together. I know that celebrating communion in this kind of a format, format might feel sacrilegious to some people. You might feel like, hey, like, is, is this wrong? Like, am I allowed to celebrate this way? Like, if you, again, grew up in a religious system, you might feel like you're only allowed to celebrate at church or with a pastor or with a priest, but that's not the reality. God cares more about the state of our heart when we celebrate communion than where or how we're celebrating communion or the elements that we're using. So here's what I recommend. If you're at home, and I'm sure many of you are, if you're at home, go to the kitchen and get something to drink. Now, let me clarify that for some of you. I know you've been cooped up at home. I know you've been on each other's nerves a little bit. Maybe you've been around your family more than normal. Maybe you have been by yourself more than normal. And I'm not talking about that kind of drink, okay? So uh, go to the kitchen, maybe get some juice, maybe get some water, maybe get some milk, maybe just get something that we can celebrate communion together with. Get some bread, maybe some crackers, and maybe put it on a plate, maybe enough for those with you to share, enough for yourself. And then later... I'll celebrate communion with us and I'll guide us through what that means for us on a personal level. But as we begin, 
I want us to think back to what that first Good Friday must have been like for Jesus' disciples. And if you've been following us as we've posted our, our online video teachings on social media, we've been walking through the events of Easter week. And Easter week starts on Palm Sunday and it leads right up to today, Easter Sunday. And on Good Friday, and we looked at what happened that day, the reality that Jesus was crucified. And we call that day Good Friday, but it was not good for Jesus or his disciples. For Jesus' disciples, this was a day that all their hopes were dashed. I mean, you think about the guy they had put all their hopes and dreams in, the guy they'd left everything to follow had been crucified. It was a day of doom and gloom for them. It was a day filled with uncertainty and fear. That's what Friday and Saturday was like for them. And I think what we're going through as a nation and as a world, as we walk through this coronavirus crisis, I think we get a glimpse of what that was like for them. There's a lot of uncertainty in the air. There's a lot of fear in the air. There's a lot of doom and gloom. And yet everything changed on that Easter Sunday morning. Matthew 28 tells us about that. Matthew 28 verse one says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, we're about to find out that Jesus rose from the grave on that day. So let me just pause for a moment to say behind every gloomy Friday and gloom-filled Saturday is a glorious Sunday. So early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. I love that sentence. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. That is what Christianity is built on. It's not built on the teachings of a dead man. It's built on an event that happened the day that Jesus rose from the grave, defeating the curse of sin and death that we had brought into the world. So we're gonna to explore today three ways that Easter can be personal for our lives. The first way is this. Easter means for us that our doubts can be answered. And we see the reality of that in John chapter 20. So in John chapter 20, we see that Jesus has risen from the grave and he has already revealed himself to some of his disciples. And yet not all of his disciples were there in that moment that he revealed himself. So in John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands put my fingers into them 
and placed my hand into the wound in his side. Now, Thomas takes a whole lot of flack for that moment of doubt. Uh, He's actually been uh, given a new nickname. He's now known as Doubting Thomas. If you know anything about Thomas in scripture, you probably know him, oh, as the guy who doubted that Jesus has risen from the grave. And I can just hear Thomas up in heaven right now just saying, come on, people. Like we were all doubting. You would have doubted as well. All the disciples were doubting. So we, we uh, give Thomas like a really hard time for that. But here's a really cool thing about Thomas. Thomas was not willing to blindly believe something just because everybody else wanted it to be true. Thomas wanted proof. And Thomas got that proof in verse 26. It says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then watch what Jesus does. Watch how personal Jesus is with Thomas. Verse 27 says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, believe. Thomas explained, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Jesus met Thomas in the middle of his doubt, and he proved himself to Thomas. And I believe that Jesus can do and will do the same thing with us. So if you're like Thomas, unwilling to blindly believe stuff just because everybody else says it's true, I actually think Jesus would applaud you for that. I think he would applaud you because you take your belief seriously. But I think that Jesus would also challenge you. He would challenge you not to stay in your doubt, He would challenge you to step beyond that and get real answers for the questions that you have. The reality is you're not the first one to have questions about God, about faith, about Christianity, about Jesus. People have been asking questions about those subjects for thousands of years and people will continue to ask questions about those subjects. And God has given some real answers for those questions. So if you're in a spot where you have doubts, I think Jesus would challenge you to get answers. We've got some suggestions for you for how you could get answers for some of the questions that you have. The first suggestion is to take our starting point small group class. So we've got a small group environment. It's a class that runs about eight weeks long. It's a great conversational environment where you can learn the teachings of Jesus. You can learn the story of God and find your place in that story. So whether you're a skeptic, whether you're new to faith, whether you're returning from a time away from faith, you could benefit greatly in this time frame of just sitting and again, learning the teachings of Jesus. And as you do that, it can help answer some of the big doubts, some of the big questions that you have about faith. So I hope that you'll sign up for that class. And to do that, all you have to do is go to our website, theepicchurch.com, look for our signups tab, and then sign up for starting point. Someone will reach out to you and tell you when that class is starting. And with the, the beauty of technology, what we're doing with the crisis that we're in right now is we're offering this class online. So what that means is you can take this class from the comfort of your own home, whether you live in Pennsylvania, you live in New York, you live around the world somewhere, you could take this class with us and you don't have to live in our general area. So I hope that you'll sign up for that. The next way that you can get some answers for the doubts that you have is by digging into some of the resources that we're gonna make available at the end of our time today. 
So at the end of our service, I'm gonna post some resources on the screen. I've got some book recommendations and some movie recommendations that I highly recommend you spend some time digging through. And you can do that at your own pace and on your own time, but it will provide you some amazing answers for the questions that you might have. I hope you'll do those two things. So Easter means that our doubts can be answered like Thomas's doubts were answered. My name is Thomas, and I struggle with doubt. I followed Jesus for years. From the very first day he called me, I saw things so amazing they defied explanation. I believed. But then things fell apart. I witnessed the betrayal that led to the cruel march to Calvary and his agonizing crucifixion. I survived, but everyone I knew scattered. My world collapsed. Then came news of the empty tomb, the very first Easter. But I resisted. The image of his broken, lifeless body was still burned into my memory. I experienced his death that I couldn't believe. Not until I see the scars with my own eyes and touch them with my own hands, I told the others. I wasn't ready to put my trust in something again. But Jesus came to me. He knew my doubts. He even named them. But he wasn't angry. He didn't rebuke me or dismiss me. He looked at me with those familiar eyes and offered me his scarred hands inside. In that moment, I experienced his resurrection and I believed. I know firsthand it's difficult to believe in what you can't see. And yet all around you are people whose lives and stories have scars that bear witness to the meaning of Easter. Yes, these people have been wounded, but they've experienced redemption and healing through Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were meant to rescue the doubters, the debtors, and the broken. People like you and me. He met my doubts with grace and love, and he only asked one thing of me. Believe. Easter means our doubts can be answered. The second thing that Easter means is that we can receive God's grace and forgiveness. And to explore that, I want to look closer at the Last Supper. And the Last Supper is something I think most of us think was some really special holy moment that Jesus created with his disciples and his disciples fully understood what it was all about. I mean, you know, Jesus had hired, you know, some guy named Da Vinci to come take their picture and it was going to be famous, you know, for everybody to see for all time. So everybody was wearing their, their best robes and maybe on their best behavior. But that's not really what that Last Supper was like. It was a different environment than, than what we often think it was like. So after Jesus had celebrated communion with his disciples, he had a conversation with them that one of them was going to betray him. And they all were wondering, like, is it me? Is it me? So they're all asking him who it was. But then after that, 
Luke 22, verse 24 says this. It says, then they, meaning the disciples, began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. So get what's happening there. They're, they're trying to have this contest to figure out who's the best, who's the greatest. And we don't know who said what. Maybe Peter said, I'm the greatest because I walked on water. None of you other disciples did that. John might've said, I'm the greatest because everybody knows Jesus loves me best. And Judas might've said, I'm the greatest because Jesus trusts me with the money. That didn't go real well for Judas. And we're not really sure what all was said in that moment, but that was not their finest moment as disciples. So then Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says this in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. He made it personal for Simon that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. So Peter responded, and said, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. Do you not know who I am? Like, I'm the guy who walked on water with you. I know it was just a few steps, but I walked on water with you. And you nicknamed me The Rock before Dwayne Johnson was ever born. Like, I'm The Rock. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm gonna go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. And Jesus said in verse 34, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter didn't believe it. Peter was like, like, that's not true. That's not gonna happen. Again, I'm the one who will stay with you to the end. They left the upper room. They went out into the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus went off to pray by himself. And he came back to check with his disciples who weren't far away and he found them sleeping. Did that several times. That was where Jesus was arrested by the temple guards. Verse 54 tells us, so they arrested him, meaning Jesus, and they led him to the high priest's home and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that moment? Apparently, Peter had a, an eye line of sight to see Jesus in that moment. And Jesus turned and caught Peter's eyes, looked directly at him in his moment of denial, of rejection of Jesus. Can imagine what that must have been like for Peter. That passage says, suddenly the words of his Lord flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. I can't imagine the shame and the guilt that Peter lived with after that moment. And I'm so glad that is not the end of Peter's story. And it's not the end of our story either. 
We see Peter's story actually picking up again over in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, it records after Jesus' resurrection, he has revealed himself to his disciples on a couple of occasions and they are back at Galilee. They're fishing in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus sees them from the shoreline. He calls to them. They haven't caught any fish. He says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. They do and they catch a huge load of fish and then they come and have breakfast with Jesus on the shoreline. In verse 15 of John 21, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Here's the significance of that for Peter and some application for us. Jesus forgave Peter three times for his three denials. And he wanted to help Peter get past that failure so he could help other people get past their own failures. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 31. He said, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was gonna be tempted to walk away from his faith because of his failure. But Jesus did not want that to happen. So he forgave Peter in that moment and he encouraged Peter to go and strengthen other people who are battling with their own moments of shame, their own moments of guilt, their own moments of failure. So here's how this applies to us. No matter what you have done, you can be forgiven. No matter how far from God you've run, no matter how bad you think you've messed up your life, you can still receive God's grace and God's forgiveness. And the Bible actually says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, confession is just admission. If we admit to God the things that we have done wrong, the ways that we have hurt him, that verse says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness or unrighteousness or unway, uh, wrong ways of living. There are several ways to say that. So if you need forgiveness, you can receive that forgiveness. You just have to come to God and tell him that you need that and he will give that to you. So Easter means we can receive God's grace and be forgiven. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. 
Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, Don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, the angel said what? Uh, Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. He said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Easter means our doubts can be answered. It means that we can receive God's grace and forgiveness. The third thing that Easter means is that since Jesus rose from the grave, we can too. And I want you to listen to what Jesus said to one of his followers in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said this, and he said this before his death, burial, and resurrection. So he said this, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? 
And in that moment, Jesus was speaking with one of his followers named Martha. And Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the savior of the world. I believe that Jesus is still asking that same question today. Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that eternal life comes only by putting our faith and trust in him as our Lord and savior? And do you believe that's open to anyone who makes that decision? All throughout the Bible, God says that salvation or eternal life is available to anyone and everyone. This is the most personal aspect of Christianity, the most personal aspect of Easter, that it's available to anyone. It's not just available to rich people. It's not just available to religious people. It's not just available to people who know a whole lot about the Bible or who are uh, highly educated, who are really tall, who are really good looking or have a lot of hair. It's open to anyone and everyone. But to receive it, we have to believe it. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross so that we can have eternal life. And so I'm curious today, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you have, then God has adopted you into his family. And when you die on this earth, when you pass from this life into the next, you will be taken to a real place called heaven where you will spend eternity with God. And it's an amazing place. Scripture tell, tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. The Bible tells us that heaven is a place that's free of sin. It's free of death. It's free of disease. It's free of cancer. It's free of coronavirus. And aren't we so excited about one day actually being able to be in that real place with a God who loves us deeply? So if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you'll be granted eternal life once you die from this earth. Now, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can today. There's nothing more that God wants for you than to make that decision. And we make that decision by number one, admitting that we're sinners in need of a savior. Jesus came as a savior. He didn't come as a politician. He didn't come as an educator. He came as a savior to save us from our sins. So it starts with admitting that we're in need of him. And then we have to believe that Jesus is that savior who died so we can live. And then we ask him, we invite him to come into our heart to be our personal Lord and savior. And we commit to follow him the rest of our days. Remember what Jesus said. He said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live forever, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? If you're believing this for the first time today, you'll be granted eternal life. Before we celebrate communion, let me tell you three ways that you can respond to today's message. If you have doubt right now, you can stay in your doubt or you can get answers for the doubts that you have. You can get real answers. God has real answers that he offers you right now. And I hope that you'll sign up for our starting point class. I hope that you'll take some of the resources that we provide at the end of today's message and get those and dig deeper and get the answers that you need for the doubts that you have. If you need forgiveness, you can stay in your shame you can stay in your guilt. 
You can stay in your failure or you can receive God's grace and forgiveness and you can move beyond those things and then you can in turn be like Peter and you can help other people step beyond their own moments of failure. If you need to put your faith in Jesus, today can be that day. Again, how you do that is by admitting that you're a sinner in need of a savior, believing that Jesus is that savior and then committing your life to follow him. Those are three powerful, personal ways that Easter can impact your life today and every day. Now, we're gonna celebrate communion together. And hopefully you've gotten your communion elements ready for that. And I'm gonna guide you through two different ways that you can celebrate communion today. The first way is you can just follow me and I will guide us through it specifically as I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Or if you wanna take it on a more personal level, when, once I'm finished praying, a worship team's gonna come and they're gonna guide us through a closing communion song. And during that song, you can take communion on your own. And whether you take it with me or you take it on your own during the, that communion song, what I encourage you to do is just pause. Talk to God about anything that he has stirred your heart in relationship to today's message. If there's something that he's put his finger on in your life that he said, like, this is what I want you to deal with in your life, I encourage you to just spend some time talking to God about that. Thank God that he sent Jesus to die so that we can have eternal life. And then if you're taking communion on your own during the communion song, then take communion when you're ready. But again, I'll guide everybody else to take communion with me. Let me remind all of us that God cares more about what's happening in our hearts than where or the elements that we're using as we take communion. So let me say before I read 1 Corinthians 11, happy Easter, everyone. Easter was meant to be personal and it can be personal for your life. And I hope that you found a way that it can be personal for you today. So 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's take the bread together. Verse 25 says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take the drink together. Pray with me. God, I thank you so much for wanting a personal relationship with each and every one of us, wanting that so much that you would step out of heaven, you would step into earth, and Jesus, you would come and you would live a perfect life. You would take the sin of the world on your shoulders and you would die in our place so that we can have eternal life. 
And Lord, today we understand that eternal life comes through our belief. It comes through believing that you died so that we can live. It comes through believing that you rose again from the grave, defeating the curse of sin and death that we had brought into the world. And so, Lord, you wanted Easter, you wanted Christianity to be a personal thing for all of us. And so, Lord, today I pray that whoever is watching has found a way that Easter can be personal for them. So, Lord, may we celebrate today the reality that we serve a risen Savior. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.